The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, right across from the one, the only, the, I don't even know what you are. Wonderfully fascinating. Specimen from the woods. Tammy, the Sasquatch Underwood. Can't understand why she puts up with your bullshit. Because I'm fabulous. No, no, you're not. Super duper. Uh, pooper trooper. Pooper trooper. Um, yeah. So, anyways, how, how, how are you doing? <laughs> like, how? Well, That's I'm looking at I'm this in. right here, Joe Ball. I got your balls right here. <laughs> right, right. No, this is Joe Ball. I mean, I know that we talked about doing him before, but then we got so sidetracked by everything else. But I liked his moniker. <laughs> So, you know. Continue. So, okay, I'm going to try. So we're fucking dying. I'm going to die. But did you die? But did, did you die? Yes, I did. <laughs> now you didn't. Anyway, so Joe, Joseph Douglas Ball. Okay, got to get back there. So more than 60 years after he committed his crimes, it's really hard to, you know, to separate fact from fiction, right? Sometimes, yeah. You know, from you know, from the myth or the legends of people. The myth, the <laughs> legend, Joe Ball. Right, because none of the original investigators are alive, and the local authorities actually don't have any files or written accounts on it. So, had it not been for the persistence, hold up, hold up. How fucking long ago did this happen? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Back in sixteen forty-one. <laughs> no, you know, because. They didn't really have any written accounts. And had it not for, been for the persistence of the managing editor of the Austin Chronicle, his name was Michael Hall, there probably wouldn't even be a story to tell today. But at least not a very detailed one. So during the summer of 2002, Hall actually was able to find some surviving witnesses, some relatives, and um, uh, other minute details about Joe Ball. And in, with this information, it got, he wrote a story. It was published on July 1st, 2002 in the Texas Monthly Magazine. Now, according to his account, along with various pre-existing reports, it has been possible to put together a reasonably cons- complete story about Joe Ball and his life and his crimes. Now, although most Texans don't recall how many people Joe killed or when the crimes took place... Virtually everybody there knows his name and have heard the stories about him. Many were told the tale by their parents at bedtime. You know, those whoa, those bygone tales, you know, like we had the hook guy. Remember the uh-huh. lover's lane hook guy and all yep. that crap? And he came out west. His name was yeah, Joe, or the, Joe Ball. That dog under the bed licking the kid's hand and it turns out to be there's a bloody note inside the you know, where she finds her dog in the closet and says, humans can lick too. That one freaked me out. I, will, <laughs> I still, to this day, do not sleep with my foot hanging over the side of the bed. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, those are like the campfire stories, The you know. So whether it is the sheer brutality of his crimes or the unique aspect of this case, the name Joe Ball is not one that will easily be forgotten once you hear it. Most of the horror buffs have seen Toby Hooper's popular movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Oh, shit, yeah. So it was Hooper's second movie, Eaten Alive, which may have been more reality-based. Oh. The film told the tale of a crazed Texas hotel owner who fed his guests, including one pretty little hooker, 
to an alligator he kept behind the hotel. Okay, number one, you can't be feeding pretty hookers to alligators. They are in short supply. Hookers are people, too. And, That's uh, right. And if you, if, people too. if you are a hooker and you're cute um, and you need a safe place, uh, my address is. Oh, more today. Don't be giving out your address on the air. Three, you have enough stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> now, surely this is not a sheer coincidence, and it strongly suggests that Mr. Hooper, like many Texans, is totally fascinated by Joe Ball's stories and what he did to his victims. So, okay, in the late 1800s, the state of Texas was actually a wide-open frontier with acres of unsettled land. Now, the Indian Wars and the feuds with Mexico were pretty much forgotten, as most were looking ahead for their future. One of those looking towards the future was Joe's, Joe Ball's father, Frank. And he wanted to deport the Mexicans. Probably not. <laughs> oh, my bad. Yeah, that's only you. Around 1885, Frank Ball moved to Elmendorf, that's a weird name, Texas, which is a small town fi- roughly 15 miles southeast of San Antonio, which had recently been founded by a man named Henry Elmendorf, who would later become the mayor of San Antonio. Now, shortly after Frank arrived, he borrowed some money from the bank and opened a factory to process cotton. Now, shortly after that, the railroad ran tracks through town and Frank's business took off, making him a very wealthy man. Then he began to dabble in real estate. He bought and sold properties throughout the area and he eventually opened a general store. Then Frank and his wife, Elizabeth, raised eight children and one of the first stone homes that was built in the area. Dude, get off her. <laughs> well, Fuck not just sense. that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> God damn. I hate hearing... When, My grandma like, had six kids. God damn. Yeah. I hate hearing when people have more than two, and I'll tell you why, man, because I hear that shit... Two is way too many. <laughs> Two's too many, dude. You need to back that shit up a little bit. <laughs> God dang. Yeah. Ma- Masturbate My grandma had six kids, and only one of them was planned. If, you, if you're thinking about, you know, like, hey, I want to jump my old lady's bones, maybe you need to go and masturbate a little bit. <laughs> Just saying, man. Yeah. Jesus. Well, check this out. Every single one of their, every one of their children prospered, and several of them actually became important figures in the community. Oh, well, damn, that's good. Yeah. Frank Jr. worked for the school district and became a trustee in 1914. His brother, Raymond, opened his own grocery store. And in 1926, he married a local teacher named Jane Terrell who was later appointed by President Franklin Roosevelt as a 1940, in 1940 as a postmaster, and, served, and he served the community for 27 years. Wow, damn good boy, go. Then Frank and Elizabeth's second child, Joseph Deball, was born on January 7, 1896. Now, throughout his child, he pretty much kept to himself. He rarely participated in activities with any other kids. He preferred to spend his time outside fishing and exploring. He, as he reached his adolescence, his passion turned to guns. He loved them and spent several hours every week practicing and perfecting his marksmanship. Uh, according to Joe's nephew, Buckyball, yeah, I said Buckyball, <laughs> my uncle it. could shoot a bird off a telephone line with a pistol from the bumper of his Model A Ford. He said in a July 2002 interview with the Texas Monthly Magazine. Now, whether Joe had suspected it at the time or not, these skills would soon come in handy. On April 6, 1917, the U.S. formally declared war against Germany and entered the conflict in Europe. Now, shortly after the beginning of the war, Joe enlisted and was shipped off to the front lines. While there, it there's no surviving record of his actions during the war. He survived 
1919 received an honorable discharge from the Army and returned home. Now, Joe worked for his father for a while, but then quit. And I think the reason why there's no records at that time from his military is because they had a huge fire um, where they keep all those records. Because I know my dad served during the Korean War, and his records were lost because of that fire. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was uh, pouring certain backwards was the part of the building where the fire happened. So he doesn't have a, didn't have a true DD-214. It was just what they call, you know. Um. So Joe worked for his father for a while, but then he quit. And some surmise that after a couple of years living in the foxholes, he needed some time to adjust to being a civilian again, which I understand. You know, because I think it was, wasn't it World War One would they called it shell shock yep. from all the violence they saw. Uh-huh. I have the same thing when I live in holes. I need a little time to readjust, but wrong kind of holes. Because you're shell-shocked? <laughs> Sometimes. So Joe may not have followed in his father's footsteps, but he obviously learned something from him about how to do business. And he quickly determined that with the advent of, you know, prohibition, which... I'm sorry, that was the biggest mistake America ever made. There was a huge demand for illegal whiskey and beer, right? So he began a career as a bootlegger. Now, the job may have been dangerous, but Joe enjoyed it. And he'd travel all around the area in his Model A Ford, selling people whiskey out of a 50-gallon barrel. Now, during the mid-20s, Joe hired a young African-American man named Clifton Wheeler to help him. With the business. That's a good name. I yeah. like that name. And Wheeler was a handyman by trade, and he found himself doing most of the labor and the dirty work. You know, it was later said that Wheeler was afraid of Joe, and that whenever Joe got drunk, he would blow off steam by shooting at Wheeler's feet, making him dance. Which, that's what you see in Western movies, right? Everybody needs a <laughs> hobby, okay? I don't judge. Everybody needs a hobby. But, you know, that's what they, you know, show in the, like, the guy getting picked on the Western movie, the, dr- the town drunk. Yeah. Now you know, dance! So, right. So, when Prohibition ended, Joe's bootlegging career was dealt a setback. Now, since he already knew quite a bit about the liquor and beer business, he decided to open a saloon. After he purchased a small little section, oh, hang on, my thingy went flying up the thing. Sorry, my I hit the button on my mouse and it was like jumped all the way down the end. So um, he he purchased a small little section of land outside of town in what's now known as Highway 181, and he built a tavern with the name, and he named it the Sociable Inn. In the back were two bedrooms, and up front was a bar, a player piano, and a room where tables where men could drink and you know enjoy a cockfight or two. And not the kind you're thinking, Scott. Hey, you know, I want to touch on that because I was really disappointed. Because mm-hmm. I trained for a lot of years only to find that cockfighting was not what I thought. No, it wasn't what you thought, huh? Still disappointed. But I tell Did you, you what. you some Rocky Balboa exercising crap? I can lift <laughs> my truck. And that's all I'm saying. Lots of training. Okay, so while most customers seemed to get along with Joe, he was known around town as a creepy guy, someone you really never wanted to piss off. Now, even though his business business seemed to be doing well, Joe thought he needed a gimmick to draw customers in and soon settled on the idea of having live alligators roaming the property. Really? That's the smartest thing you could come up with? You sure he's not from Florida? Yeah. That's some Florida shit going on is what that is. Yeah. So he dug a hole behind the bar, you know, which he then cemented and filled with water. Then he put up a 10-foot tall fence and filled the pond with five 
alligators, one large <laughs> and four small. Now, his idea kind of panned out because hordes of customers came to see his new pets, right? Saturdays were really busy for Joe would put on a show by taking a live raccoon, a cat or a dog or any other small animal and throw the animal to the alligators so the customers can watch him like devour him. Right? I think we should do that with some people that are in prisons. Dude, well, see, with a human, you'd have to tie like ham around them or something because... Alligators don't like the taste of human flesh. No, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit of salt, pepper, some paprika, a little garlic powder. You know, throw it over the fence. You'd be like, oh, my God, it's like buffet night. <laughs> right. <coughs> now, according to a guy by the name of Elton Cude, C-U-D-E, Jr. Oh, thank God you spelled that. I thought you said cooch. <laughs> no, Cude. Whose father was a Bear County deputy sheriff, he helped investigate the ball case and later wrote about him in a book that was titled The Wild and Free Dukedom of Bear. And it was common knowledge that every Saturday night a drunken orgy occurred and any wild animal, possum, cat, dog, or any other animal without an owner helped make the show a little bit better. They get drunk, throw an animal in, and watch the alligators. Now, a similar account can also be found in, uh, within the files of the San Antonio Library. Uh, this, this account goes, The squalling kitten flopped into the pool. A big alligator lifted its jaws, closed like a vice, and the screaming cat was bitten in half. There's more to come, my pets. Really? Jesus Joe sh- Big Joe Ball shouted as the drink-crazed crowd roared in appreciation. Like, and okay, he next he, tossed a puppy into the pool. See, that's fucked up. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm all for nature, okay? I, I understand right. that, that predators eat other animals, okay? Right. When you're catching puppies and kittens and doing that stuff, know, that's kind right? of a, that's an asshole move. That's a total fucking dick move. Yeah. I would be horrified by that. I'm I was horrified when I watched an episode of Mysteries of the Swamp with uh, Troy Landry, and I saw an alligator bite a python. I was like, oh, my goodness. Circle of life right there, man. I was telling you. So, in addition to his alligators, Joe's male customers enjoyed the fact that he would only hire the youngest, prettiest girls to be a waitress or attend his bar. Smart man. Yeah. You know, for a long time, the Forest Grove Dutch Brothers... All the women there, I think it was required that they wear booty shorts, like really short shorts, because that's all they wore in the summer. I had a marketing <laughs> idea for this show. I want to get two hot chicks with big tits and have them, their picture plastered everywhere, and nobody will know the difference, really. <laughs> or a hot chick and a hot dude, right? Right. And uh, nobody will know the difference. We'll do the show, and then they'll just be the fucking faces. The faces of it? Yeah, because, you know, we've got... We got a face for radio, we do. <laughs> Especially you. I'm gorgeous, darling. Gorgeous. Fabulous. So, um, none of the girls ever stayed for very long, but Joe always explained that the girls were simply drifting through town looking for a quick buck, and that's why they, he had such a high turnover. That, that's B as in buck, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you think I said? F as in fuck. No, buck. Buh, buh, buh. Um, in 1934, Joe actually met a woman from Seguin, S-E-G-U-I-N, and her name was Mary Gothard, or Big Minnie, as most of them knew her, and Joe's friends didn't like her. They thought she was an oafish, loathsome woman, but Joe didn't mind, and they eventually began, you know, running the bar together. Um, Their relationship lasted for almost three years until Joe fell in love with Dolores, good, Dolores, quote, Buddy Goodwin. Why would a woman be nicknamed Buddy? 
um, what, who was one of his younger waitresses. Now, Dolores also fell in love with Joe, even though he had once thrown a bottle at her, which left a nasty scar from her eye to her neck. But you know what? Things can be forgiven, right? And sometimes you got to teach a woman a lesson. Right. Okay. Things- and obviously, she learned, which is good, which is good. I mean, she's trainable. Shut up. So you women keep your keep, keep your keep that in oh mind. My God, okay. There was a big scandal when Matt Rife made a uh, domestic violence joke. I kind of thought it was funny, but I'm, I'm Matt Rife is fucking you. hilarious, man. You heard it? I didn't hear that one, but I've I've, I've been following him. I, oh, he is funny as fuck because he does the crowd work, which I like. I, I, yeah, I, I fucking love it. He they, he's definitely got talent for comedy, man. Yeah. Now things became even more complicated in 1937 when 22-year-old Hazel Shotzi Brown began to work at the bar. That's a sketchy ass yeah, fucking name. No, no, that's a that's a street name if I've ever. That heard is, it. man. That's, that's totally sketch, man. Yeah, 100. percent I don't I don't trust her, and you haven't said shit about her. Right, but she was full of confidence. You know, she knew what she was, and she knew she was beautiful. And Joe, who was forever a player, fell in love with her. You know, hey, trade one up. Don't hate the player. Hate, hate the, the game. game. <laughs> so this created a problem from Joe for Joe because he was trying to balance three women at once. All of them worked with him. See, he needs to learn to talk to him. Look, hear yeah. me out. We need to have a four-way sexual capade, a sex capade. Yeah, how's that going to go over, Scott? Might work. Might not. Whatever. You roll the dice. <laughs> you pay. You, you you pay your price. You win your prize. <laughs> Right. Okay, so during the summer of 1937, though, Joe's problem, you know, had a little bit of his problem got solved because Minnie suddenly disappeared. Now, when his friends asked about her and when his friends and relatives asked about her, he explained that she had left town after giving birth to a black baby. You know, because nothing can be more scandalous back then. No kidding, man. Yeah. Can't have a white girl giving birth to no black baby in Texas? I know. So a few months later, Joe actually married Dolores, and he told her that Minnie didn't run off, but that he had taken her to a local beach, shot her in the head, and buried her in the sand. Jeez. Now, okay, Joe, you're a fucking idiot. You don't admit that to fucking nobody. Right? That's That right there, that's the personal information. You keep that shit to yourself, much like the crabs. Yeah. That's a need-to-know no, basis, and did she really need to know? Yeah. No, no, nobody needs to know. That's one yeah. thing. You, you want to know the quickest way to fucking get caught? Open your fucking mouth and tell your old lady. Yeah. Because here's much, what's going to happen. Here's she's going to get happen. mad at you one day. Yeah. She's going to be like, hey, Joe, can you take out the garbage? Yeah, no problem. Then you're going to forget about it, and you've done some other nefarious shit. So she's sitting there, motherfucker, didn't take out the garbage again. All right. I got you. I, I, I got you. I got you. Hey, Sheriff Brown. Guess what? Numbnuts over here shot a chick in the head and yeah. buried her at the beach. Buried her at the beach, I'm telling you. But yeah, can you believe that? Anyways, um, Dolores didn't really believe his story, and she never brought it up again. She was like, whatever. So in January 1938, Dolores was involved in in a car accident that was nearly fatal, which resulted in her getting her left arm amputated. Nonetheless, Ooh. the rumors quickly began flying around that one of Joe's alligators actually tore it off. Regardless of how she lost her arm, she mysteriously disappeared in April. And not long after that, Hazel went missing. Hey, uh, okay, in his defense, you can't have some one-armed chick, like, in your... I mean, that, 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 that's half your hand job's gone. <laughs> really? What? 
I'm not ambidextrous like she. No, I kind of am. She 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 can't wash dishes or anything like that. She got one fucking arm. Okay. I'm and how is she gonna sure. put? How is she gonna put three fingers up your ass? Oh my god, you're so stupid. Well, I'm asking. I'm just, I'm just asking. I'm asking. She can't. For Why? a friend. For a friend. For a friend. For a friend. Mm-hmm. All she has is Mr. Stumpy on the other side, and we know that's way too big. Yeah. To go up a person's pooper. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, well, when seems like the women in like Joe's life were, you know, were not consistent at all, right? But his alligators were there. He was very protective of them. It is also rumored that on one occasion when a neighbor complained about the smell of the rotting meat from his alligator pond, he pulled out a gun and in not so polite terms explained that it must have been the alligator's food that smelled so bad and that that nosy neighbor should mind his own damn business if he didn't want to become that food himself. Right? That's right, because it's Texas. Apparently after that, the neighbor just moved. (laughs) <laughs> Go somewhere else. Texas is the Yosemite Sam State, and I've said it a thousand times. You're Texas. They're born as soon as a Texan is born, they give them six shooters and a fucking know, cowboy right? hat. You know, they come out with mustaches like with fucking, them little t- those little gun belts and yeah, and a bandolero yeah. and fucking they, yeah, they spurs. Yeah, and they come out with fucking uh, the Yosemite Sam mustache and beard. <laughs> and they're, they're like, I'm a Texan. I just got born. Where's that rabbit? <laughs> Not like Elmer Fudd. That's Georgia. <laughs> oh fuck you. <laughs> Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting a Sasquatch. <laughs> so despite the fact that Joe like kept going through help, his business actually thrived. Everything appeared to be going very smoothly until mid-1938. Can when, question? Huh? Did Jake leave? No. Not yet. Okay. It's 2.44. Shouldn't he be leaving soon? Just done. Oh, his ride's already ordered. No, okay. Thank you. So every, you know, so that was until mid 1938. That's when Minnie's family started asking questions about her again. They hadn't been able to locate her, and they actually asked for the Bear County Sheriff for help. Since Joe was Minnie's last known lover and the last place she worked, he was questioned on numerous occasions. Nonetheless, absent of any evidence showing foul play, he was it was just he was dismissed as a suspect. A couple months later. Uh, later, another family went to the police about their missing daughter, 23-year-old Julia Turner. Now, this girl had all, was also worked part-time for Joe, and the deputies again went out to the tavern, but Joe again claimed that she had told them that she was having some personal problems and wanted to move. Nothing more to go on. The investigators, once again, couldn't do anything. Yeah, you have to have some proof right. and evidence, man. Exactly. So later, when they searched the home Julia Julia had shared with a roommate, it it was discovered that she hadn't packed any of her clothes, right? She didn't pack anything. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, that's true. Now, they decided to go back to the bar and question Joe again. This time, Joe apparently remembered that she was in a desperate state and that he gave her $500 because she was having problems with her roommate and didn't want to go back home. Which would explain why she didn't take her stuff. Makes right? sense, yeah. Yeah. So during the next few months, two more of Joe's employees went missing. The people are, uh, you know, the names and the ages of these have been lost over time. They were changed to protect the innocent. Right. Dragnet. 
all, all, all people depicted are innocent until proven guilty in the court. Oh, that's cops. <laughs> yep. Now, sheriff's deputies. You would know. You've been on that a few times. No, I haven't. But I was in jail. Every time she ended up in jail, they showed the episode where she snitched on a bunch of people. Who? I don't even remember her name, but every time she came to prison, because she was a revolving door one, every time she was in, you could guarantee that the cops episode where her snitching on a bunch of people was going to air. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So sheriff's deputies brought Joe in and questioned him again for hours this time, but he continued to say he was innocent. He stated that they left town, moved on. Again, no evidence, no leads. The girls were just added to a growing list of People Joe knew that never were seen again. So on September 23rd, 1938, Joe's luck started to run out. One of his old neighbors came forward and told the investigators that he saw Joe cut meat off a human body and feed those to the alligators. Probably the neighbor that decided right? to move. So I'll fix that asshole. Right. And as investigators, he said what they would do next, a Mexican-American man approached Bear County Deputy Sheriff John Gray and told him about a foul-smelling barrel Joe left behind his sister's barn. He said it smelled so bad, like something dead was inside. So the next morning, Deputy John Gray and John Clevenhagen, what a name, Clevenhagen, all one word, went to the barn to investigate, but the barrel was gone. Nonetheless, Joe's sister corroborated the man's story, and the deputies decided to pay Joe another visit. Oh, poor Joe, man. I know, man. harassing the ball, man. He cannot get no love. No love for Joe, man. Well, except for the ones he fed to his gators. See, here's me. I would have asked the alligators. <laughs> would I, you? Would yeah. you just go on and ask the alligator, ask him to burp in your face so you could smell it? Hell no. I'd be like, hey, man, Wally Gator, can I talk to you for a minute? Do you have time to talk about Jesus? Uh-huh. Um, no, uh, and... Uh, you know, and I was, have you been eating people? And if they guess, said, oh, you caught me. You know, he put a little wow. bit of cumin on there. It was a Mexican, so, you know, spicy. Um, I, okay, cool. Thank you. Sign wow. right here. Sign, sign, sign this deposition. Wow. Detective Scott is on the case. Yeah, well, you're going to be amazed at what happens next. So, you know, since Joe's sister corroborated that story, Gray and Covington went back to the bar. They informed Joe that they were taking him to San Antonio for questioning. Joe asked if he could first close down the tavern, and the deputy said, sure, no problem. So as they were sitting at the bar waiting, Joe grabbed a beer and quickly, you know, slammed that sucker down, right? Then he walked over to the cash register, pressed the no sale button, which opens the drawer, right? And when they opened, he reached inside and grabbed a forty-four caliber revolver. He waved it at Gray and Clevenhagen. At the cops? Yeah, he waved it at the cops. Okay, this dude's they a yelled, fucking idiot. Wait, they yelled, don't. And as they did that, he pointed it at his heart and pulled the trigger and was He's like laid on the barroom floor. Sometime later, some later actually claimed that he shot himself in the head. But no matter what, he was dead. But either way, he would have been dead. Yeah. We've seen it time and time oh, yeah. again, even now. It's called suicide by cop. If you pull a gun out on a cop, guess what? The cop's going to fucking kill you. Yeah, that cop has a gun, too. <laughs> Jesus Christ, and they're, man. And they're probably more accurate of a shot than you are. It's good to know that the stupidity of people doing that shit yeah. goes way back. I know, It's not right? just a current thing. Because a lot of shit that we uh, that we see nowadays that's stupid is a, a, a current type yeah. of a, a pandemic as far as stupidity. Oh, no. But stupidity runs the gamut all the time. This kind of stupidity goes <laughs> way back, way man. Ba- way back. Like, I had some hope for Joe there for a minute, but not yeah, now. Yeah, because he was, like, getting away with everything. Yeah, I'm like, go, Joe. 
Go, Joe. Right? It's your birthday. Go, Joe. Yeah. No, Joe, Joe, go bye-bye. So deputies from everywhere, like, converged on Joe's bar, right? Almost like the Bloody Bender house. So upon discovering rotting meat all around the gator pond and an axe that was matted with blood and hair, their theory was that Joe had mutilated his victims and fed them to his alligators. Investigators also began to recall other disappearances, including two missing barmaids and a teenage boy who hung out at Joe's. That's a waste of perfectly good white vagina. The sheer horror of the situation was beginning to set in, and Bear County Deputy Sheriff John Gray wanted more answers. So investigators knew that Joe's handyman, Clifton Wheeler, was probably the only one alive that could help them find them. And we know Clifton, being shot at, is not going to like Joe very yeah. much at all. He's like, and fuck now this that Joe's guy. dead, he ain't afraid of him. I ain't afraid of that motherfucker no more. He needs to shoot at me and shit. Yeah. Motherfuckers. Yeah, so after they secured the scene at the bar, you know, uh, the... The two officers picked up Wheeler and took him back to San Antonio and questioned him. Now, Wheeler initially denied having de- knowing anything of what happened to the missing women. But as the day progressed and he was fine, he finally said, you know what, that he had not been totally honest with them about his involvement. He then said that Joe's girlfriend, Hazel Brown, had fallen in love with another man, was planning on move- leaving Joe. To start a new life. And according to Wheeler, this in conjunction with accusing Joe of Big Minnie's murder caused Joe to fly off the handle and kill her. In order to verify his story, investigators wanted to see proof and asked Wheeler to show them where Joe had disposed of Hazel's body. The next day, he took him to an isolated spot just roughly three miles out of town near the San Antonio River. He scanned the area for a moment and then began to dig in the loose soil. After a few minutes, blood began oozing up in the dirt and a horrendous smell began to emanate from the ground. Oh, God, could you imagine? Yeah, I can't imagine blood coming up because, uh, well, okay, he must have killed that chick within hours and buried her within hours of the cop yeah. showing up to us. But God Well, no, damn. because I've heard that in some soils it will actually, because it, it, do, it doesn't, like, I can't remember what they said, but it's like the bloating still occurs, and so that could have been that oh, state. okay. Yeah, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, that, that's pretty fucking so nasty. that is just gross. Um, so, apparently, that the the odor was so intolerable for those who were around that they, most of them started vomiting. He, uh, Wheeler eventually pulled up two arms, two legs, and a torso. When asked where the head was, Wheeler pointed to the remains of a campfire. Upon closer examination, investigators found a jawbone, teeth, and finally some pieces of a skull that had remained. That's no way to suntan. I know, right? Investigators actually cordoned out that area and declared it a crime scene. And Wheeler said that after a long night of heavy drinking, Ball asked him to gather up some blankets and some alcohol. Can I ask an emergency question? Huh? How much longer do you have? Just a minute or two. Okay, because I'm having uh, gastric distress. Oh, no, I'm almost done. Um, let's see here. Oh, okay, anyways. Uh, Ball asked him to gather, asked Wheeler to gather up some blankets and alcohol, and then the two of them took Joe's car and picked up a 50-gallon barrel from Joe's sister's barn and drove down to the river where he claimed that Ball forced him at gunpoint to dig a grave, and then they opened the barrel. Inside was Hazel Brown's body. Wheeler said that he initially refused to help dismember the corpse and that Joe had started it himself, but in his, he was so drunk that he, he had a hard time sawing off the limbs that Wheeler had to do it for him. So whenever the two started to get ill from the stench, she would take a break and drink more beer. 
So when he questioned about Minnie Gothard's disappearance, Wheeler said that Joe had taken Minnie to Ingleside near Corpus Christi, and Joe found a secluded area there, and after a lot of drinking, he waited until Minnie was distracted and shot her in the head. He then stated that Joe killed her because she was pregnant, and she, he did not want it, um, that to interfere with the relationship he had with Dolores. So finally, on October 14, 1938, they found Minnie's partially decomposed remains in the sand. People continue, police continued to question Wheeler about the other missing women, but he said he didn't know anything about them. Back at Joe's bar, investigators found a scrapbook containing photos of dozens of women. And Sheriff's Deputy J.W. Davis said might lead to the discovery of one or a dozen more murders. Now, investigators eventually located Dolores in California, so she was alive. She was far from dead and apparently left the area to start a new life in San Diego. Two weeks later, they located another one of the women that had previously been listed missing. As it turns out, none of the rotting flesh in the alligator pond was human flesh. Oh, that's good. Yeah, in 1957, an interview with San Antonio Light, Dolores' buddy Goodwin stated that Joe never put no people in that alligator tank. That's how any southern Texan would talk. Joe never put no people in that alligator tank. That's not a double. That's not a double negative. That's a quadruple fucking negative. Joe Joe wouldn't do a thing like that. He wasn't a horrible monster. Joe was a sweet, kind, good man, and he never hurt nobody unless he was driven to it. There, there were just two murders. While it's possible that Joe never fed anyone to his alligators, it's speculated by the original investigators that he cleaned up the remaining flesh and bo- he cleaned up any remaining flesh and bone. In 1939, Clifton Wheeler pled guilty for his part in the disposing of the bodies, and he was sentenced to two years. When he got out, he opened his own bar. However, he he was so notorious that he was unable to show his face in public without being hounded by the press or, you know, harassed by the locals. Wheeler eventually left the area and was never heard from again, and Joe's alligators were eventually seized by the state and donated to the San Antonio Zoo, where they lived the remainder of their lives as tourist attractions. Now, while we may never know exactly how many people Joe actually killed, or if any of them ever ended up as gator food, his cult-like popularity now lives on, known throughout the crime world as the Butcher of Elmendorf and the Bluebeard of South Texas. But more importantly, around the campfire, he's known as Alligator Man. So now I've got a new goal for you, and you need to jot this one down. I want you to hire me a contractor and have me a cement pond put in my backyard. And then you want me to get you a gator? I want several gators. Oh, my dear Lord. And there's a reason, because that way there, when eventually you get me my Asian girls, I can say, do you want to go swimming with the gators? You don't? Yeah, I didn't think you did. Cook me some fucking food. You're so horrible. Preferably Korean, because Korean food's bomb. Korean food is bomb. Is and that- you know what? You actually stay fuller on Korean food, because it's more meats and vegetables than it is the rice. and You know what I mean? Might have and to start greasiness. doing more Korean food, because I need something that stays... Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Hel- it's healthy food. Groovy. Remember, folks... Okay, we're going to add one more onto this one, because we we're are, a little short on time. We are. So, um, this one is actually a pretty bizarre case. Like the, the last one was. I know, right? No, Alligators this, and I disappearing know, right? chicks, chopping the chicks' chopping head off, head making off. black guys dance with your six-shooter because you're in Texas. I know, right? <laughs> but this one's going to be yep, weird. Oh, okay. Vomit. No, this one, this one is actually, I mean, it's weird in a different way. This is this is the case of Dalen Bounds, Dalen Forrest Bounds. Now, in 1999, um, is what this starts, okay? But actually, let's 
go back a little bit further. <laughs> Dalen Bounds was actually born in Ashland, Oregon. Oh. Okay. Okay. On August 9th, 1971. And then apparently he moved out to South Carolina for a while. Now, very little information can be found on him, and there's a reason for that that I'll get into in a minute. But um, it wasn't until uh, January of 2000 that the pieces started falling together with about um, Dan- Dalen Bound. But um, what happened is, okay, let's start. I'll start at the end. We'll work backwards. On December 23rd, 1999, no, two days before Christmas, right? Um, Dalen Bounds, or a lady by the name of, oh, where's her name? A lady by the name of Sandy, Sandra Ott? Yeah. She was, she uh, paged her boy, her ex-husband, right? Because back then we had pagers. Um, now, she paid her ex-husband with her phone number and 911. And that told him, it's an emergency. I need you now. Right, right, right. right. I'm, I'm familiar with the pages. Yeah. Well, some people don't know what that was. But it's like a text message over a little thingy that you put on your belt. Anyways, so, um, and the authorities don't know whether he went to her house and they had an interaction there. But shortly after she paged her ex-husband, she ran out of her apartment left the door wide open, didn't even put on her shoes before she took off and started going to her ex-husband's house. And that's where she was last seen alive. Uh, apparently, Dar- Dalen caught up to her at her ex-husband Timothy Ott's house, and that's when he broke into the house through a window, and apparently Sandra was on the inside, and she was killed during a struggle when he pulled a knife, a uh, gun and tried to shoot her ex-husband Timothy. So she got in between trying to stop him from doing it, and he shot him. And according to some news archives, it's believed that Timothy actually, he was 32 and he got out of the house and went to a neighbor's house to try to call the police. But Dalen followed him there, like kicked in the door, shot him, but then left the neighbors, al- the neighbors alone. The neighbors found hiding in the closet. Yeah, okay. Right. And the child, uh, Sandra and Timothy's child was found asleep in his room. Well, at least he didn't fuck with the kid. Yeah. So no, yeah. no matter what this asshole did, right. he didn't fuck with the kid. Right. You know, I'm, I'm golden. Exactly, exactly. So that incident spurred a 12-hour manhunt, okay? And when he, what happened was they eventually found that he had barricaded himself in another house across town and took two women hostage, a woman and her daughter, her, her mother, her older elderly mother, who they say was the sweetest woman on the planet when it, Anybody walked through her house, they were family. She offered them food, all that shit, right? Why do you think I have uh, porn fantasies about old women? I know, Here's the thing, man. You give an old lady some good loving, (laughs) she will make you some cookies like you won't believe. They will be the best cookies you've ever had. Same reason why when I was in college, I I, I sought out uh, the the single moms. Because you always get a Lunchable. (laughs) And a Capri Sun. And a Capri. He said with the Lunchable with the candy bar. God dang right, man. And then, then their kids look at you. What are you doing with oh my Capri Sun? Mind your own fucking business, Billy. <laughs> That's right. It's my juice box. My juice you. box. You piss off, man. But anyways. You're a failure as a son. I gave your mom what you couldn't. So 
I don't know about you. Get straight A's. Right. Well, I watched a documentary on this case, and the daughter of the elderly woman, she was talking about how when he broke into their house and took them hostage, that her mom was just like, so, you know, what's going on? Why are you having such a bad day? And, like, tried to try to feed him and everything oh, and finally got it so that they could talk to the police. And as the police were coming in to get them out, uh, he shot himself in the head. Uh, at least he didn't shoot her. No, exactly. Oh, he didn't phew. kill the, he didn't kill the mom and the oh, daughter. So, no. I thought I, like, seriously, seriously, no. I was, I was starting to get choked up because I'm thinking no. about this little old lady no. and him shooting her no, and I'm not like, even for a yeah. porn reason or nothing like that. The police showed up and the, you know, the mom and the daughter saw the, them, you know, circling her house, their house. And so they kept trying to distract him so he wouldn't look out the window because they felt that if he did, he probably would have killed them. Right. But then the police were able to get the mom and daughter out. And then when they did, they tried to go in to get him. He turned the gun on himself and shot himself. Now, Dalen was only 28 years old. But ultimately, over the next six months, they could not, didn't only link him to the, to the shootings of the aughts. They linked him to... A total of four killings in the Greenville Pickens County area of South Carolina. God dang, man. Approximately a week after Dalen committed suicide, officials connected him to uh, two other killings in Greenville. One of them occurred just the day before the, you know, the the Christmas Eve Eve murders. And then one of them back in June of 1999. So in a... uh, According to reports, police chief Mike Bridges said that if Bounds was alive at the time they found this in January 2000, the authorities would have enough evidence to charge him in the killing that occurred at a Lawrence Road radio shot because they didn't know what happened then. On June 26, 1999, a guy by the name of 26-year-old Jonathan Lara was working at Radio Shack, and he was later found dead by a co-worker. He was in the back room of the back on the floor in the back storage room he was strapped to a chair with zip ties and he had been stabbed in the neck with a screwdriver jesus right? christ but man whoever killed him locked the front door shut off all the lights put the clothes sign in the window and left out the back all right still so nobody knew what had happened they just knew that radio shack was closed that's and, fucked up yeah. you stab somebody in the neck with a fucking Dude, screwdriver i know right can you imagine the force of that Jesus Christ, this so, guy was a little fucking psycho. Right, and he wasn't found, like I said, he wasn't found till later that afternoon when a co-worker came to, you know, for his shift. Then, on December 22nd, 1999, a 30-year-old Karen Hayden, who was working, uh, she was a florist at the Greenville Pelham Florist on Rutherford Road, when the investigators um, believed that uh, Dalen killed her as well. Now, she was found that afternoon after a concerned customer had gone to the florist to, you know, pick up some flowers and the shop was closed. The lights were off and there was a close sign. So he called their other location and an employee from there came out to the store and had to use his keys to get in. And they found her in the back room. Uh, Somebody had slit her throat. But they didn't suspect any um, robbery because, I mean, nothing was disturbed in the in the floor shop. So this guy's just being a dickhead. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So then it wasn't until a tip from his roommate in early 2000 that they were able to connect him to all of those murders. Um, but unfortunately, the, the tip, you know, was too late. Too little too late, right? Because he was already dead. Four people were already dead and everything. But after that, and I haven't been able to find much information on this part of it, though. 
Um, police in Washington suspect him of killing people up there, too. It, it wouldn't surprise me. This guy's a psycho yeah. or was. Yeah. Jesus. And several fuck, murders man. there. But yeah, he was only 28 years old. And from my understanding from the documentary I saw, he, he and Sandra were in a relationship. Well, but who was Sandra? Sandra was the first woman he killed. But okay. On the, yeah, on that uh, December 23rd. Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to follow yeah. along. Found the bouncing She's a ball. Sandra, uh, you know, she's the one that. Right. Paid her boyfriend nine one her ex husband nine one one. Right, right, right. You know that apparently he was in love with her, and he had told her that they could just leave together, get new identities, and all this other stuff. But she didn't want to leave her kid, right? Uh, understandable. And everything. So he figured, or and something about her ex husband, and he figured if he just killed her ex husband, then they could run away together, right? <laughs> Fucking a, and man. so that's what sparked this like downward spiral of him just you know killing people. Did it have did, when you watched the documentary? Did it have anything about his, his upbringing, his parents? No, nothing. Jesus, nothing. Because I'm, I'm kind of curious at I know at what kind of programs somebody you know yeah what happened exactly to program them to do this like to go off the deep end. That far, like most of the time when people go off the deep end, you you right. dive into drugs and alcohol and things like that. Um, but God yeah. dang, man. Go yeah, around. It's That's crazy. crazy. I'm just glad he didn't shoot the nice old lady. Yeah. Like for real, because she just sounds like she was a sweetheart. Yeah. God dang, man. I know. It's crazy. But yeah, I just. Yeah, because I, I mean, when I first saw this, I mean, I even in the documentary, they had nothing on his upbringing. Nothing that I could hear. I mean, it was just basically, it was more about the old lady and how she kept her cool and, you know, didn't, like, try to condemn him or anything, you know, because she didn't want to escalate the situation. And Well, it's a little bizarre because usually in every documentary that I've I ever know. watched, it's always like a... Well, and I think it's because he committed suicide and nobody really knew much about him before that, you know? Uh, still... Even, yeah. even when shit like that happens, they, like with serial killers, right? Nope. Bill was raised by a normal family mm-hmm. in, uh, I don't know, like at Portland, Oregon. His dad was a steel worker and his mom was a waitress at Denny's, you know, yeah, and, no. and had a good upbringing. Uh, you know, ty- type of thing. They, they, they at least have some, right. you know, background. I know, exactly. Exactly. You would think, but no. But this guy materialized out of nowhere. Out of and, nowhere. And all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I'm going to just start killing motherfuckers. Yeah. Pretty much. That's pretty much how it was. It's just, you know. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Um, hang on. Let me see if I can find. There might be something here. Let me click on this real quick. Um, click faster. I'm trying to click faster. Leave me alone. Now your internet's being slow. It's not my fault. It's not your fault the internet's slow? Do I look like the internet guy? No. No, I don't. Look like Larry the Cable guy. <laughs> Why'd you oh, shoot her, Scott? Not. Case dismissed. Oh, yeah, it's not loading. Never mind. The page isn't available. Oh, Never shit. Mind. Okay. Well, fuck. Yeah. Is that the last one we're adding? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the yeah, that's the last one because the other one I have I don't have enough information on yet. Oh, okay. But um This one's just a little shy of an hour. Well no, yeah, but you know, I just I just look at it this way. It's like you do wonder what draws a person to that do that. <laughs> but you also have to admire the fact that this woman, an elderly woman, kept cool enough to you know stay alive and keep her daughter alive yeah i i admire that 
I know. Instead of freaking out and, you know, saying, get out of here, you fucking asshole. Well, especially coming from the South, didn't condemn him or nothing. Right. You know? I mean, she was polite, mm-hmm. sweet, offered to feed him. Say, hey, why are you having such a bad day there, dude? Yeah, pretty much. Talk to Grandma. Come on, sit yeah, over here. sit over here. Talk to Granny. Granny's got a bong. You want a bong rip? <laughs> for my glaucoma. For my glaucoma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, and it's like offering him food because, you know, it was right before Christmas. So, right, you right, know, right. all the Christmas cookies and shit were probably And out. I can understand why they were doing that because the, the mm-hmm. holiday season is high stress. Oh, yeah, totally. So she could have been thinking, man, this dude is yeah. way stressed out over the holidays. Yeah. And all that good snazzy BS. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally admire her. All yeah. right, we'll wrap this one up. Remember, boys and girls, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Interact with us. It's always a good time. Hey, tell your friends to log on and listen to this highly inappropriate fucking podcast. <laughs> but if they're easily offended and they're all woke and shit, then maybe not. Maybe the, that'd if they're be under idea. the age of 18, get the parents' written permission. If they're, the, if they're under the age of 18, females, send them to my house. I mean, 18. They have to be 18 or older. That oh was it. God, I hate you. I love doing that to Nobody you. Nobody likes you. I crack up every time I make that joke. No, no, no. How old are you? 16, 18. How old are you? 12, 18. 18. That's all I hear. <laughs> I hate you. Are you kidding me? I, my, my, my phone re- will record. So I go, say you're 18. Okay, mister. How old are you? Um, 18. Okay, I got you recorded saying that. Let's go. <laughs> but, but, but I'm only 13. Nah, no, let me shut this up first. <laughs> so, no, I've already got it on. I've already got it recorded. We're good. We're good. Oh, you you're said so 18. Horrible. <laughs> That's terrible. All right, this show's copyrighted 2024 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast except for Metal Cross Radio, they're lying, thieving bastards. bastards. And we will talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye.